It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And if you enjoyed all of that, make sure you tune in to The Matthew Wright Show with Kevin O'Sullivan every weekday from 1 on Talk Radio. I'm going to go to um, a woman called Leslie Cuthbert. She's one of uh, Ian Patterson's many victims, and I'm thrilled to say she's joined us on the line now. Good afternoon to you, Leslie. Good afternoon. Could I first just ask you, I'm going to come on to what he did to you in just a moment, but are you receiving any satisfaction at all from the headlines we've been seeing in the last 24 hours or so? Um, well, as long as, I mean, all the 16 recommendations that the bishop has made in the inquiry... As long as those are implemented firmly, then there is some satisfaction. But I think we've got a long way to go. I, I have to say, I would be concerned. Um, I mean, I don't want to pin everything on Spire Healthcare, but the fact that they appeared to be uh, dealing with, with victims and, and giving this wrong impression about their, their employment terms uh, as recently as three months ago, that is a worry. It is a worry, Um the surgeons are not employed by them. They, as you stated, they do just rent the rooms and therefore the hospital holds no responsibility towards the patient, which is completely wrong. If they have got people walking through their doors for surgery, whatever, then they have got a duty of care to that person. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Leslie... Um and my producer, Ricky, has uh, tactfully decided not to tell me uh, what happened to you. Um, if you wouldn't mind, what did he do to you? Um, well, I, I had a small bleed from my right breast and my GP referred me under the NHS to Mr Patterson. I had mammograms. He asked me about my family's history with the sure. cancer in the family. And, of course, my mother had passed away from breast cancer right. just a few years before. And he sent me through for a mammogram, uh, came back ultrasound and all that. Uh, he looked at the x-rays and he said, I'm very sorry to tell you, but you've got cancer in both breasts. He also told me that I needed the operation urgently, but there was a three-week waiting list on the NHS and hence coerced us into going privately to get it done within a couple of days. Could I ask, uh, did you have insurance or did you have to pay? Uh, we had a, uh, my husband got um, a small insurance uh, with his company, but it was capped and it covered uh, the operation and for a couple of the checkups afterwards. Okay. But he kept me going back for several checkups every year for about 
three or four years. Could I ask, because one of the things that I've not been able, in terms of information about Patterson, I've not been able to avail myself with is, what his manner was like? What, what was he like when you, know, when you first met him? What impression did you get? Uh, was he charming? Was he, some, some surgeons can be very... Uh, they're so bright, they find it difficult to communicate with mere mortals like ourselves. I just wonder what kind of impression of a man he was. Oh, he, he was very charming, exceedingly charming. You believed every word he said. Uh, this man was supposedly a top surgeon. Yeah. So you had trust in him you put your whole trust your faith everything in him you believed every word so you went ahead and you had your surgery within a couple of days what happened yeah. after that um well he operated on both breasts he removed the milk ducts from both breasts and it, that was in 2006 then in 2014 i received a recall letter from spire parkway and the doctor I saw there said he had examined my records and x-rays and he was really sorry to tell me that I had never had cancer. Dear God. Yeah, I was completely clear. Never had it. Dear God. And when, when Mr Patterson um, discharged me, he sat at his desk, he turned round, looked at me and said... I am so pleased to tell you that I have cleared you of cancer. It was, you know, and to learn that you never had it, it was like being told you've got cancer. It was a, a brick hitting me. It, I, it was terribly you, do, shocking. Do you think that that was what his shtick was, was... That it's somehow the God complex yes. to say to you, yes. uh, you have cancer, now I have brilliantly uh, removed the cancer from you. Is that what he got off on, do you think? Oh, I'm sure he did. But, of course, the other reason was, you know, he coerced us into going privately. So he was getting the money from us. And this is what he's done with so many patients. Do you know how much, he, you, do you know how much money you, you handed over personally? I honestly can't recall how much it was, um, but it was, as I said, three or four years' worth of um, checkups and x-rays sure. and ultrasounds. So many, many hundreds of pounds, I, I, oh, I, yes, would, I would imagine. Yes. Now, yes, can, yes. there's something else, because there'll be some people listening, I, I would imagine, who would thought, because there are weird people out there, that some people will think, OK, she never had breast cancer, Leslie, in the first place, but she thought mm -hmm. she did. And then she's told she hasn't. She's gone through a terrible, terrible experience, but at least she never had cancer, so that's great. But you must tell them, Leslie, what's it like? What's it like to be told you have cancer? What's it like to find out that you've been conned into having an operation you didn't need? It's awful to be told you've got cancer. I mean, anybody wouldn't realise. Shattering, I mean, it's shattering. It's awful disease. It really is. Um, you're devastated. And then to be told that you'd never had cancer in the first place, the devastation happens all over again. Um, I mean, it's, it's not just the physical scars that you're left with, it's the mental scars as well. That is something that will never, ever go away. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. 
tens of thousands of uh, people in this country have been incentivised by the government to buy hybrid cars, just as I was incentivised by the old Labour government to buy diesel cars, a diesel car that is now, if you've been listening, almost utterly worthless. Will hybrids go the same way? And, I mean, Friends of the Earth, it's quite interesting, they accuse ministers of greenwashing, greenwashing the public into believing they should buy hybrids. The, the, the sort of real sort of kick in the teeth is the idea that hybrids, which I thought were clean and green, broadly speaking, can actually be uh, more polluting in terms of CO2 emissions than new diesel cars. How? I mean, really, how? Um, well, until I say, uh, Alex Robbins from The Telegraph, motoring journalist, joins us on the line now. Good afternoon to you, Alex. Good afternoon. Um, perhaps we could start with that point. Why are some hybrids capable of producing more CO2 emissions than new diesels? Certainly, yeah. Well, um, it's, I think that, that statement's actually referring to uh, plug-in hybrids. There are actually two, two main types of hybrid right. cars. Um, plug-in hybrids, as the name suggests, are the ones that you plug in to charge up a battery, and that battery then allows you to run on electric-only power for a very short range, and there's then a petrol diesel engine alongside that that means you can go further than that. Right. Um, now, the problem comes, of course, if people... Um, these, these cars have been very, very popular as company cars because the tax breaks involved right. in, uh, in running them are significant. Um, now the problem is that, and the tax breaks—sorry, the tax breaks were, were, were put on hybrids because they were better for the environment. The government wanted us to drive them. That's right, and right. And, and the the problem comes if you don't actually plug a hybrid car in. And of course, if you if you choose one as a company car and you don't have anywhere to plug it in, effectively what you've got is you've got a petrol diesel car that's driving around, hefting around a, a massive great battery. Um, uh, <laughs> I can see it. Therefore, yeah. um, uh, wrecks the fuel economy. So. Uh, yeah, you know that that can be a big problem. Um, but the flip side, of course, is that if you plug in a hybrid, uh, plug in hybrid car and, and use it as it's intended to be used, it can be far more efficient than driving a petrol diesel car on its own. Um, and in addition to that, it, it can be more environmentally friendly. But the temptation, of course, not to plug it in. I can, I, you yeah, know, I, I can see it so easily. Oh, I've got a company car. Oh, it's really tax efficient because it's hybrid. Oh, yeah. but I've got nowhere to plug in. And well, never mind. I've had my tax break. Let's go driving. Well, it's true, but then you're shooting yourself in, in the foot by doing that because you're also paying more for fuel. Right, uh, unless right. your company's paying, unless your company's <laughs> paying for your fuel for you, um, in which case, yeah, you know, no brainer. But you know, uh, if you're paying for your own fuel, you're, you're getting a less efficient car that's less economical. I, uh, uh, and therefore, you're going to be uh, paying more. Uh, what you're saving in company car tax, you'll probably pay out on the extra fuel you're using. Gotcha. So, are you backing this government move to, to ban the sale of hybrids from 2035? Well, to be completely honest with you, I've spent the last day and a half trying to work out how I feel about it. You know, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my, my gut feeling is that it's, it's not a great move. I think it's been pretty ill-considered, and I think it's a fairly knee-jerk thing that's gone on. Um, Why? Because we, we, we've, of... just, we've just looked at how tempting it is for owners of those plug-in hybrids that don't plug them in to drive uh, an even more polluting car around. So maybe we do well, need to rein them in. Uh, maybe we do, but, but as I mentioned, plug-ins aren't the only type of hybrids. The more traditional types of hybrids that, um, for instance, the Toyota, Toyota Prius, is yep. the name most people will, will recognise, um, you don't need to plug those in to get the benefit of driving one. Um, and there are other hybrids of that type that exist. Um, Toyota uses the phrase self-charging hybrid, yes. which um, evokes some control. Essentially, those, uh, those types of cars, you don't need to plug them in to, to get the benefit, and they can be... Uh, more environmentally friendly and more efficient than driving a normal petrol car. So why, why would the government want to... You see, this is where it gets really interesting, because I, I knew a little bit, and I'm glad you, you set up the stall, but I can't quite get my head around why you would want to take a car like the Toyota Prius off the road. Well, neither can I. 
<laughs> so what, what are they thinking then? Why? They just want us to be entirely, entirely electric? Yes, and I mean, I think that's a very laudable aim because, I mean, if, as we're told at the moment, uh, electric cars are as, are as environmentally friendly as, as we think they might be, although there's a little bit yeah. of debate about that. You've got to get the um, children but, children from the Congo to dig up the chemicals to make the batteries. You've got the horrible pollution that comes from the chemical process to make the batteries. You've got to get rid of the old batteries. Um, absolutely. And, that's, and that Electricity is, that is isn't all clean either. Nuclear no power, point. is that clean? Um, and that is a problem. And, you know, there is a big debate surrounding that at the moment. Um, but generally, the studies that I've seen, uh, you know, the, the, the scientific studies I've seen have suggested that well to wheel, as the term is, so basically from, from the point of making the car to the point it dies, yeah. an electric car is more efficient if you take into account all of the fuel savings of this that, and better for the environment. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. I said at the top of the show I was going to ask... Oh, why we send out such sort of confusing uh, uh, and uh, double-think type messages to young women in this country. You've got, uh, if you go back to the BAFTAs at the weekend, you had women slagging off other women Mm -hmm. for the fashion choices they made as they went down the red carpet. I mean, I thought this would have gone out with Joan Rivers, but there you go. Uh, We had the brilliant uh, Labour MP, Tracy Braben, trolled relentlessly uh, for wearing an off-the-shoulder dress to the Commons. I mean... Really? I mean, really? She said she'd been called over social media a slag, <gasps> hungover, a tart, about to breastfeed, a slapper, drunk, or banged over a wheelie bin. Oh. This is to a, to a, a member of parliament. Mm. And then um, the other bit which really sort of caught my caught me, really, I suppose, was 12 months after the, the Grid Girl scandal that uh, saw a ban on sort of sexy women holding brollies over F1 drivers, the Daily Mail today, that champion of women's rights, asked why you got women dressed in leather cat suits, playboy bunnies and Bavarian maids at a huge gambling conference in London this week. I mean, we could worry, couldn't we? The Daily Mail could worry about the rise in problem gamblers and run stories about that. <laughs> but it's uh, what women wear that seems to bother them most. I can't believe we're still doing this decades after I first complained. I'm, I'm going to turn to Dr Jessica Taylor for research and uh, for, um, for guidance on this. She's an academic uh, researcher who, who's been looking into victim blaming and the self-blame of women. In fact, has a new book coming out at the end of April called Why Women Are Blamed for Everything, which is a great title. And I'm delighted to say Dr Jessica joins us on the line now. Good afternoon. Thank you. Afternoon. Well, lo- lovely talking to you. And I have to say, I- I- I'm looking forward to picking up your book when it comes out. Um, presumably, you're going to be covering some of the issues that I've just raised. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I wanted to write a book that looked at all of the different ways that we encourage society and individuals to blame women and girls um, for... I guess, everything. It is a bit of a contentious title. Well, I mean, yeah, was... <laughs> listen, listen, I, I, I could I could say, yeah, but what about white working class men or, or, or indeed just white men, uh, the, these poor put-upon fellows? But I think, yeah, I think you've got a good case here. Um, let's, um, have we always blamed women and, young, and girls? Um, it, so, in my opinion, yes. Mm-hmm. I think that we've done it for a long time. I think that it is um, present across all countries, all cultures, all languages. We do it in slightly different ways, which is what you're picking up on. So you've noticed that there's almost this, I guess, a dichotomy where yes. you can be um, blamed for wearing something, I don't know, that's like not feminine enough, and yep. then you can be blamed for having too much Absolutely. Exactly that. Yeah. The, 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 the paper seems to be, oh, isn't it dreadful how people have had to go at Tracy Braben for what she's worn? And then this, isn't it dreadful what these women are wearing at the gambling conference? It's exactly that. Yeah, I agree. Do you know there's a really interesting theory on this, um, 
which is called, which is about the um, way that we encourage girls from a very young age to be. I'm sorry about this language, but it's sexy but not a slut. So right. sexy but not a slag, right? So, and the point of that is that. Women and girls are told from an early age that they're supposed to be beautiful, they're supposed to be desirable, they're supposed to be attractive and sexy, but not too sexy yep. because then you're asking for it. Yep. And so you sort of walk this tightrope your whole life about, do I look attractive enough to fit in with society, but have I got too much skin out to the point where I'll then be blamed for whatever is done to me? Can I ask, who is responsible for these attacks on women. Is it, I know this might sound daft to some people, but is it the male patriarchy? Because some might say, and I've, I've even heard it in the talk radio office this morning, this earlier morning, that uh, that w women can be enemies of women. Well, that's what I think. Oh, well, let, I, let, let, go on, Jessica. Yeah. No, I, I agree. So we, we know that the origins of it are from patriarchal control and culture, but that doesn't mean that women aren't also... They can internalise that misogyny and, and they can blame women at the same rate. So my research found that men and women actually blame women at the same rate. There's no difference between the way men and women will blame women and girls for things like domestic violence, being a victim of sexual assault. And we used to think that women had like higher empathy for other women, but that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And women will show that misogyny towards other women and will attack them and blame them at the same rate men do. Can I ask you your own personal feelings, if I may, um, about, say, the F1 grid girls? I, 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 I know women that worked as F1 grid girls and they're not happy that they're out of jobs. Exactly. But at the same time, it was sexist. Yeah. I think the way I think right the way it looks to me and or lots of different jobs like that is almost like the women are like this ornament to the men that are doing something really cool. It's like whoa, look at these blokes they're driving these really cool fast cars, and then they have to have a sexy, scantily clad woman holding an umbrella. But like get an umbrella stand. But we've end, we've ended up though, women with women and without work. But the women want to be those women. The women want to be trophies. The women, though, the people that are Do there. Do they? Well, or have they been conditioned to feel like that? Well, no. But some, some, yeah. Maybe I suppose. I suppose that is an argument in itself. But I believe that people want to be admired. You know, by certain types of people, by men. Possibly you know. because they. But uh, Jessica was but just saying how we condition young girls from birth. Mm. Oh, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. Is it, it, do you agree? Is it conditioning, Jessica, or or could it be that actually? These women wanted to be Want out to there be wearing beautiful. sexy clothes, showing off a bit of skin, but not too much because you, you just you can all the things you can't you touch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you uh, both of you are right. Okay. So the the issue is that we are conditioned very early on. So there was research um, that looked at when women and girls start to self-sexualize, and what that means is when you start to look at yourself and think, "Am I sexy enough? Am I attractive yeah. to other people?" And um, uh, quite a while back, maybe ten, fifteen years ago. We used to start self-sexualizing at about 12 to 13 years old. Right. So more recent research, yeah, more recent research has shown that girls start to self-sexualize between four and seven. What? Yeah, it's, I, can, I can see that. Four? Yeah. Even my four-year-old yeah. daughter says to me, Mummy, do I look nice in this? You know, because you you say, you, you don't mean to, but as a mum, I say, oh, don't you, oh, that looks really pretty, that. Oh, that looks, so then she comes up to me and puts something else on and says, Mummy, do I look pretty? You know, what, what is that my fault? Well, do you, do you often, if it was a son, a boy, you're not going to say... i tell him he looks handsome. Would you? Yeah, absolutely. Or nice. No, I'd say he looks handsome. Because I, because sometimes I say to my nephew, "Oh, don't you look pretty? I mean, handsome. <laughs> so I have to use the male equivalent. That's how I, you know... 
Where where are we going, Jessica, as as a society? Because the last twenty years or so, there's been a lot of good feminist stuff out there, and and some stuff, you know, reform and review, and, and but at the same time, if you look at F1 Grid Girls, they've gone, but we still have scantily clad women in sexy attire promoting gambling. Yeah, yeah. I guess because some of that, some of that um, is like what I would say is tokenism. It's like ban the F1 Grid Girls because oh no, that's bad now. But then, it, but the actual misogyny and the societal sexism and the sexualization and objectification of women and girls it just continues it'll just find another route it evolves into something else and you know we know that for example more and more children and talking about this socialization impact more and more young children are watching porn we know that the nspcc released a report a few years back that said around 50 percent of 10 year olds are watching porn and we know that you know that has a huge impact on the way we see ourselves and the way we see other people there's still a huge i guess part of society that encourages women and girls to want to be desired and want to be objectified so that's not going anywhere and if you enjoyed all of that make sure you tune in to the Matthew Wright show with Kevin O'Sullivan every weekday from one on talk radio planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.